0: He comes up and he says, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't do that. I was like, I, I know I can't do that, but he's, he's got the piano scarf. He's taken forever. <laughs> like, you know, I'm thirsty here. They're coming now. That's me talking
1: I to look the king. Like I a crazy person. I look like a crazy person.
2: I can't shake this guy. I have six blocks to walk. I can only move this fast. <laughs> So I am trapped.
3: In any event, his name for a while was Georgie Star, because he thought that if he was named Georgie Star, instead of George Schultz, he would become a famous comedian and get on the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> It's FAQ
1: NYC Presents, where the only podcast in the only city in the world breaks into its usual programming to bring you new, different, limited series. I'm Alex Brooklyn, the pod's founding executive producer, here with Harry Siegel for the third and final installment of Thirst, featuring stories on the theme of a New York Minute. These were shared at a storytelling event we hosted earlier this year.
4: In this episode, it's all ink-stained wretches. You'll be hearing some wild, woolly yawns involving fistfights, found cats, and much more, starting with Michael Gartland, and then Ellen Moynihan, both of the Daily News, but followed by Justin Miller of New York Magazine, formerly my colleague of the Daily Beast, and finally, Mark Jacobson, the journalist, novelist, all around writer, character, who, among other things, wrote the New York Magazine articles that became the TV show Taxi and the movie American Gangster. Let's jump right in with Michael after this programming note. Happy almost New Year, folks. As we celebrate and reflect and hope for good things in 2024, we're also feeling the same worry that every nonprofit worker feels on December 31st. Are we going to get enough donations before midnight? We need to raise as much as we can before the ball drops and the year's done because money raised in 2023 is what sets us up for success or failure in 2024. So please, go to thecity.nyc slash give. That's thecity.nyc give to help us out. If you've enjoyed listening this year, or if you just want to keep on hate listening, make a donation before it's too late. And poof, where did it all go? Again, go to thecity.nyc give to chip in. And because it's the very last day, the very last chance to give, I'm going to say it again. That's how important this is. We need, need, need your help before midnight tonight. And let's be honest. If you're listening to this podcast on New Year's Eve, then you probably need us too. So, help us keep doing what we do by making a donation now. Say it with me. TheCity.NYC. Slash Give.
0: city. Dot NYC Slash
4: Give. Again, for the very final time in twenty twenty three. Make your donation at the city. NYC Slash Give. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, <clears throat> oh thanks. I'm gonna tell uh uh I guess it's a drinking story Woo! um let's see i I used to back in the nineties go to this bar on uh uh East Fifth Street between a and B I think it's still there Clayton could attest to it uh called uh sophie's yeah. Yeah. and uh yeah okay um i don't i don't haven't been in a while um <laughs> <clears throat> and it's, I, this, this is probably, like, the summer of 1999, somewhere around then. And I went in with a couple of friends, and uh, the normal bartender who was there when I'd go was this guy named Shane, but he was, I think, in Thailand. And uh, the guy who was filling in for him was, like, the barback. And, and he, he wore, like a, like, I don't know if you've ever seen... Fast Times at Richmond High with the the guy who had the piano scarf. So I don't know what the guy's name was, but he was filling in and he was real slow. And so idiot, me, decides to reach over and pour myself a pint of beer and put whatever it was on the bar, uh, five bucks or whatever to pay for it. Now, in the back of the bar, there's a pool table, and this guy playing pool I'd never seen before, who apparently worked on, like, Monday or Tuesday night nights I didn't go, he comes up and he says, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't do that. I was like, I, I know I can't do that, but he's he's got the piano scarf, he's taken forever, <laughs> like, you know, I'm thirsty here, and, wh- you know what, so I'm sorry I paid, whatever. And so... He was about—he's uh, about like a head, t- uh, half a head taller than me, uh, uh, a little bigger than me, pretty big guy, and uh, and he—he's kind of lecturing me about it, and I said, "I'm like, I know it's wrong, but I did it, and I paid, so you know, could we just drop it?" And he's going on and on and on, and I'm, you know, and I just want to drink the beer, so. <laughs> He's, he's up close, and I don't know what I said to him, um, you know, back off or we're, we're back the fuck up or whatever. And he, he's, and I'm just get, kind of getting impatient with the situation, and I think this is gonna end in a fight. So it's, it's kind of a matter of who starts the fight. So I said, I'm gonna start the fight because this we gotta get, get this done with. <laughs> So I punched the guy in the face, and very quickly was on the floor getting a beating. And now the friends who I, I went with were real, like, slow to help out. Because, because they, you know, because I'd fucked up their night, basically. And, and they probably felt like, you know, I deserved like a little bit of a beatdown. So they're like, I'm watching. I'm like, where's, you know, like I'm on the ground covering up and shit. And so, you know, they come over, they break it up. And they're like, you guys got to get out. Get the fuck out of here. So, so I was banned. They said, you're 86, don't come back. So months go by. And, and these friends, these old drinking buddies of mine, like, they could still go. But when I'd go out with them, we'd go to other bars around there. We'd go to... Uh, Mona's, which is kind of like the Sophie's sister bar. And we'd go to Milano's. Anyway, we'd go to different places when I'd go out with them. And so this is probably like the winter it gets to where they, they still haven't forgiven me for my antics. And we're at a bar down the block called Ace Bar. And we're, uh, we're fucked up. <laughs> and we're walking west. And a friend sees like a a wheelchair in the garbage, and it's like, oh, get in. Somebody get in. Like, and I was like, all right, I'll get in. Like, and I'm getting wheeled down the street. And I say, oh, let's, let's go into Sophie's. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we go in, they get me in, and so now by this time, the guy I know, Shane, the bartender who's there, is, oh, Mike, what happened to you? And, and I'm like, well, you know... I, started, I was telling Katie this story before. I st- I've never said this phrase like really in my life except for this night and in retelling this story, where I preface every sentence with "The doc says." <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, you know, like yeah, I know you heard about the fight. You know, like I got in trouble, they kicked me out, whatever. I said like a couple of days later, I lost all feeling below my waist. <laughs> And, like, I can't feel anything. I said, I haven't got laid in fucking months. And this is, you know, the doc says, maybe <laughs> with therapy you can regain the movement, whatever. So I say, I'm going on with the doc says thing. Everything's <laughs> the doc says. Doc says, maybe I could get a hard-on one day again. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, and I'm I'm just, like, doing the whole thing up and so of course like you know they feel bad for me I'm temporarily not 86 from the bar and everybody's buying me drinks <laughs> and now the bar is like you know on like a Friday or Saturday that bar was always packed and there were a lot of characters there I don't know back then there was a guy named uh caveman I, I mean I don't know what it is you know, the people call him caveman the big beard and he'd drink out of uh, a pitcher and there was a guy named Spider who sold pills. And so anyhow, like it wasn't, it wasn't that like crowded. You know, I could wheel. I could wheel. And I was wheeling like with intention, like, like I like to act like I didn't know how to wheel. So I was bumping in. Oh, I'm so sorry, I bumped into you. i it's, it's getting used to it still. And so everybody's buying me drinks. And I'm getting like I'm getting pretty fucked up. And I'm getting like I gotta go take a leak. So I was like, huh, like how do I, you know, I'm disabled right now. Like I'm gonna get in so much trouble for this story. <laughs> and uh and so I, I said, well, the, the wheelchair's not gonna fit in the, the bathroom. And I don't wanna like I want the good times to keep rolling. So <laughs> so um but I said, you know, like, what would make this the best ending to the evening? So I wheeled it into the middle of the bar where everybody could see me. And I stood up, and I walked to the bathroom. And when I get out, they're like, get the fuck out. You're still 86. That's my story.
1: The... Next person coming up is a Cracker Jack reporter and really, really good friend of mine, and um, a lover of cats as well. Uh, <laughs> my very, very dear friend, Ellen Moynihan. I don't know how you knew that the story was actually about a cat. <laughs> I just guessed. <laughs> So it was September of 2017. I was in Greenpoint for the Daily News. I remember this day, a squatter, squatters, plural, had died in an apartment. Um, Then I got a call from an editor and she said, there's a cat stuck in a cop car in Crown Heights. And I was like, what? I was just picturing, like, a cat in the back seat of the car, like, kind of bouncing around, like, like, just couldn't get free. And I was like, why is this a story? (laughs) So I I made my way out there. It was at a police precinct um, on Empire Boulevard. I can't remember the cross street. And there's... A couple of other press people, one of them was a photographer sitting in, like, you know how, like, TV guys and photographers like to bring, like, lounge chairs for, like, stakeouts. Like, they have, like, the cup holders and the lounge chairs. They have, like, a freaking cooler of drinks. They have everything they're going to need. And I was like, where's this cat? And they were like, it's it's in the, the cop car. There's, like, a cop SUV. And I was like, I don't see a cat. Like, where is it? It's inside the car. I'm like, what? So... I don't actually remember how I figured it out, but I got the number of the guy in Staten Island who was an Uber driver who originally had the cat in his car and left his house that morning to come drive Uber and then heard, got as far as Crown Heights from Staten Island, picked up a passenger, and they started hearing meowing. So they investigated and it was like a cat un- under the engine, like in the in the hood. And he was like, I'm driving to the precinct because I can't deal with this. So they drove to the precinct, and ESU came for the cat. And they somehow got the cat free, and then the cat freaked out and ran up until the wheel well of a police SUV. So by the time I got there, the cat was just like in the police SUV, and I was, like, searching for, I I found a dirty towel on the street. I was wearing, like, a nice dress, high-heeled boots, I had my nails done, I had, like, lipstick on, and I was lying underneath the cop SUV on a filthy towel on Empire Boulevard, like, (laughs) like, trying to find the cat. Cops were coming. It's the change in the shifts. It's the afternoon. Cops are coming. They just see a pair of legs with (laughs) boots sticking out from under the cop car, the SUV. And they were like, are you okay, ma'am? And I was like, yeah, there's a cat. You'll hear when you get in. They'll tell you, I'm sure. There was a cat in the car. And yes, you came. And then the the cat ran into this. Anyway, it's fine. I'm going to get the cat out. Got a can of cat food, was trying to coax the cat out, I actually have a little audio snippet of me engaging with the cat who ended up being a kitten at the time. And I'm gonna play that. They're coming now. That's me talking to the cat. I look like a crazy person. I look like a crazy person. Okay, the cat was meowing back. (laughs) I sent the clip to my editor. The editor was like, she sounds, she or he sounds so cute. I said to the cat, I promise I'm not leaving you here. The cop's plan was to put the SUV on a flatbed and bring it down to the garage. This poor cat's been in the car now for like, I don't know, eight hours. And I was like, I promise I'm not going to let them do that. I'm going to free you. I'm going to, it's going to be okay. So... I call the co- the cops back out. I was like, I can hear where the cat is now because I'm I recorded the cat, and then when I play it, the cat's responding, so I can hear the cat meowing. And they're like, okay. And they lifted the hood. One of the cops was like knocking around the engine with his his like the end of his walkie-talkie. I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. I like took over. I was just like, don't do that. I'll try and get the cat. Get ESU back. ESU came back. ESU. They were like, okay, play it again. I would play the thing, and the cat would start meowing and meowing. And then they finally found her. She was under the wheel well. She turned into the the cutest five-week-old kitten, just big eyes. Like, they pulled her out, and I immediately snatched up my my new pet. And (laughs) I wrapped her in the dirty towel, and I was like, I've got you. You're safe. And then I took her... Home, and she's my cat five years later. Her name is (laughs) Batgirl. Justin Miller is a fantastic editor. We met at the Daily Beast. Um, We became really good friends and have stayed in touch since we both uh, left that fabulous establishment. Um, So take it away, Justin Miller. A uh, New York Minute. It can be, it can be longer than a New York Minute.
2: As an editor, I would be remiss if I were not attempting to be brief. Um, so, a little nervous. I've never done one of these before, but I've been to... This is my second. So, about three months ago, I woke up with an unexplained chest pain on my left side. And I live in the Upper East Side of the city... So I went to urgent care, went in, and they say, this is quite serious. If, you, if this were any worse, we would send you to the ER. This could be a heart attack, a stroke, uh, aneurysm, anything. We need to start ruling stuff out. So they have my shirt open, and all of a sudden, they're putting me through a battery test. I'm getting freaked out. They said, okay, we can only do so much here. You need to go over to the other side, the west side of Manhattan near Columbus Circle, to go visit a cardiologist. You need to go, like, right now. So I make a beeline across the park at about 66th Street, and I come out on the other side near Lincoln Center. And if you've been over there, that intersection is a bit tangled. Broadway, a bunch of other streets intersect here. So it's sort of like three, three roads converging at one point. And I can't walk very fast because it hurts to breathe deeply. So I'm you know, trying to kind of balance speed to get there against this chest pain that I can't get rid of. And by the time I cross over, um, there's a late middle-aged gentleman and an elderly woman, and they're all crossing the street alongside me. And the man says some remark to the woman about, you know, you gotta be careful, look both ways. You could die at any minute, right? Life is precious. I don't know, I happen to look in his direction, acknowledge this, maybe I say something like, yeah, for some reason. The older woman departs, and then it's me and him walking down Broadway. I'm going to the cardiologist. He's headed some, some direction himself, and we're walking at the same speed because I am really slowed down by this problem. So he starts making small talk with me. And in a couple of seconds, less than a minute, he tells me that he doesn't even live in New York, that he's visiting from Hanoi. He's here from Vietnam. That sparks a little something in my mind. I must have asked him, well, you know, why do you live there now? Clearly he was an American. He said, I met my wife there. Suspicion ratchets up a little bit more. I'm trying not to, you know, stereotype a profile. He... Then offers more information about how he met his wife. He met her in a massage parlor. Okay. Proceeds to tell me his entire story, that she's 24 years old. He loves that she's so much younger than him. Her father's dead, so he doesn't have to deal with that. (laughs) I can't shake this guy. I have six blocks to walk. I can only move this fast. (laughs) So I am trapped, and I'm trying to sort of make this talk Pleasant. Yeah. Uh huh. mm mm-hmm, Whatever. But I'm stuck with him and it just gets more and more detailed and I'll try to keep it PG for the purpose of potential podcasts, but he is just sort of going on ever more explicitly. I can't even remember, honestly, all the stuff he's told me, but by the end, I'm bearing down one or two blocks away from my target. I got to go to see the cardiologist. It's on like 60th, 62nd. It's clicking down, 61st. And we're still talking and I'm trying to like not be rude. And it sort of reaches this crescendo where he tells me that he still goes to that same massage parlor. And at his age or despite his age, he can have four, five, six girls. And I looked at him. And I made a hand gesture that was sort of like a get away from me hand gesture. It was the best I could tell. This is audio, so you can't see this if you're listening. But I went sort of like, no more. And he he looked at me and he said, is that too much? I said, yeah, it is. He went into a Target. I got an EKG. That's my story.
4: Our New York Minutes. We know these are longer than a minute, that the five-minute recommendation is complicated. We're going to have one more, then we're going to take a quick break. Um, And this is going to be Mark Jacobson, who is much, much more than this, but for the purposes of a quick introduction, is a pretty brilliant journalist, observer, and writer more generally, who you may know from uh, Return of Superfly, the, uh, the New York Magazine story that became American Gangster, or possibly from the actually pretty incredible new york magazine article that became the basis of the tv show taxi uh mark is here on behalf of himself and his good friend michael daly who sadly can't be here and i uh, no. you know i know i know oh
1: i'm and just finding that out now
4: i know sorry we missed you Daly. uh mark jacobson come on up <clears throat> Hey, Steve.
3: I, I know I never could stand in for Daly. He's, he's a special character. Um, this is kind of an older New York minute, because I'm an older New York person. Um, in fact, I have proof of that. This is a necklace that my granddaughter made for me. <laughs> so that's my bona fides. Anyhow, um, you know, I, I've written about a lot of people, and what Harry says is probably true. Um, they do sort of run together, but not these people. I mean, they just they, they stay in my mind. Anyhow, I thought I'd mention I'd uh, I'd uh, do a little memoir uh, obituary for my old friend George Schultz. Now, George Schultz, we don't know who he is. Nobody does. <laughs> but He's also dead. So, like um, the uh, in any event, his name for a while was Georgie Star because he thought that if he was named Georgie Starr, instead of George Schultz, he would become a famous comedian and get on the Ed Sullivan Show, because that's when we're talking about the middle 1950s. So, um, And he lived in an apartment on Avenue N with two other people who wound up changing their names. One was Leonard Schiller. The other one was a guy named Jack Cohn, and they had a one-bedroom apartment of these three, because then not the jew guys in there and um and leonard schuller later changed his name to lenny bruce and rodney dangerfield was, and jack Cohn became Don rodney dangerfield right so they used to and george was there and you know he was the only one that didn't make it <laughs> so he went back to being george schultz and um he did he did have some uh resonance in the comedy world and a lot actually because one time he was hanging out with Rodney he was his best friend and they're walking around on the boardwalk in Coney Island right by the uh, parachute jump which of course in the middle 1970s or early 1970s or maybe the 1960s who knows um, was like you know there's nobody around except the dead bodies so like um, and George was doing this routine about some Italian thing. He's saying, "You know, uh, you know that nobody shows me. Uh, nobody shows me any respect. There's, you know, there's no respect. There's just no respect in the world." And he said, "Rodney is walking along and he's looking at the girls or something like that." And he said, "What's that you said?" And then that became Rodney. If anybody knows about this at all, raise your hand. if You ever heard of Rodney Dangerfield? So like, <laughs> so like. Um, he was quite a character. So that became his big line. There's no respect. There's no respect. So in any event, George, um, he, he, he got it through his head. He's never going to make it. So he went back to being George Shultz. And he opened up a comedy club in on Emmons Avenue in Sheepshead Bay. Now, I don't know if anybody's been out there, but, you know, as a native New Yorker at age 75, I've been there many times, right? Mm-hmm. My parents used to take me to Lundy's, which was the largest single restaurant in the world. In fact, it was so large that 114 waiters on a single shift were arrested by the INS. (laughs) It's a true story. So, you know, in any event, so he had a little place there, and he opened a comedy club called Pips, which was... he he uh he said it came from that book great expectations like it was gonna be something you know so george would be there and he his wife eventually died and he lived upstairs above the club with his two sons who were both teenagers and uh and he said you know one guy i can't remember their names really but um they were very handsome very handsome and george used to brag about it all the time. So, these kids are like Tony Curtis, you know, whose real name is Bernard Schwartz. Um, so like, you know, and they're like Warren Beatty's, you know, but I never get dressed in front of them. I said, why not? Why not, man? So he says, I can't show them the old ass, the old ass, you know, let them live a little bit, <laughs> the way of all flesh and all that, you know? So in any event, uh, George, um, uh, he became known as the ear. In other words, he was the guy who could tell you whether something was funny or not. You know, there's a lot of people that think they're funny, but they're really not very funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people are more funny than they, than they know, you know. So, like, um, so in anyway, event, like, George had this little club out there, and it was the end of the line, end of the D train line, at least at that time. And um, it was a stop before Coney Island, excuse me. So, like, uh, and these comedians would go out there like uh, and he said you got to come on the train no driving so like they would come out there in a the d train and george would say he called me up because we were friends and he said david brenner is coming today so david brenner was a big deal comedian during the 1970s he took over the tonight show from johnny carson for a long time before jay leno did so he was a big shot right so and brenner would come in and he'd uh and George would come down from his upstairs place, and he'd be wearing a green terry cloth robe and, uh, you know, just face like this, you know, like, uh, like, you know, rubber face. And he'd sit down at the bar. He always wanted him to come in the middle of the afternoon because that's when he got up. So, uh, and he'd sit there like this, and he'd say, OK, go. And then David Brenner would run through his routine, and George would sit there going, like, funny. Not funny, <laughs> funny, not funny, and then you know the next then this another guy, another famous comedian at the time, Richard Lewis would come in and was in a lot of bunch of TV shows. You might know him from there, and it was the same thing. Like Lewis would come in and he said, "I got to impress George, I gotta impress George." So he'd say like, "I just came out on the IND. It's like a bad name." Cross it off, you know. Like he wasn't gonna do that joke, <laughs> so you know, because George said not to do it. So um, then one day Robert Klein came in, who was a big, huge deal at the time, and he comes in and he's going through his routine, and um, and George is sitting there, go funny, not funny. So Klein's like very much full of himself, you know. He'd be like, oh, I don't even know who he'd be today, but. Somewhere below, below Dave Chappelle, but probably above the guys that are at Carolines or something. So like, um, and he say that was funny. That was funny. You don't know what you're talking about, you know. And George would say, "Look, man, it's not funny." So and, and, and Stein, Klein, he stormed out into the into the into the snows of Sheepshead Bay, you know. These guys out there with these big boats, and they're, they're trying to tell you, that, "We got, we got." You go out in these boats. And you go at eight o'clock in the morning and they don't come back until four o'clock in the afternoon no matter what happens. So if you do this, you better not get seasick. So they're out there and they're screaming and George is looking at him and says, he'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
5: FAQ NYC is a part of the city. A nonprofit nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation at thecity.nyc/give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc/give. FAQ NYC also receives support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our hosts for this episode were Alex Brooklyn and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. And I'm our engineer, Adam Chimera. Thank you to our storytellers, Michael Gartland, Ellen Moynihan, Justin Miller, and Mark Jacobson. And to Annie Nocenti for hosting the Thirst Storytelling Salon. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.